Hello, friends. Welcome to 1,000 Words, Stories on the Way. My name is Matthew Clark. Um, I've been traveling across the country for the last couple of weeks, so I haven't been able to get any podcasts out, but I'm so glad you're here today because I do have a special guest for this episode, my friend Amelia Friedline. Uh, I've had the honor of playing several house concerts at Amelia's place near Kansas City, Kansas, and I've also had the pleasure of eating many delicious cakes and such after said concerts, for Amelia is an excellent and adventurous cook. She's also an excellent and adventurous writer, poet. She's a photographer, an editor, and a fellow G.K. Chesterton fanatic. So I'm very glad to have her on the podcast this week. Amelia publishes poetry and short essays over at her website that you should definitely check out. It's www.innocenceabroad.com innocenceabroad.com and you can subscribe to her quarterly print collection of seasonal essays, poems, really beautiful photography. You can uh, find all of that in her website store. I love getting those booklets each quarter. They're full of beauty, uh, both in images and in words. So go sign up at innocenceabroad.com. Amelia makes really beautiful things. And you may not have known that she was making them for you. So this week, Amelia is going to share some thoughts with us about the purpose of poetry. And then, this is really cool, to close us out, she'll be sharing one of her own original poems as well. But before I turn it over to Amelia, I want to remind you that this Friday, May 6th, this Friday, guys, my new book and album, Only the Lover Sings, releases. This book is full of essays written by a variety of writers, and each one wrote a response to a song on the album. And then we all worked together to to kind of meditate on the story of the woman at the well in John 4. So... The book and the album will be available May 6th, the book on Amazon, and then the music will be on all of the streaming platforms. So I can't wait for you to hear the songs. I can't wait for you to read the book. Uh, It's really been a labor of love, and it'll be ready for you this Friday, May 6th. So with that said, here is Amelia Friedline with her essay, What is Poetry For? I've been writing poems regularly for more than 15 years, but I still wrestle with this question. What is the purpose of poetry? Why write it in the first place? There are times when I deliberately sit down to write a poem. I have a yearly practice of writing pieces for each week of Advent, for example. But most of the time, I find my work in the wild. A poem sneaks up on me in sunlight reflected on snowflakes, in delicate pink petals fallen on the cement of a sidewalk, in conversation with a stranger buying flowers, and demands to be written. Are quiet little thumbnail sketches of my particular corner of the universe worth anything when the world is rent by war, injustice, and all other kinds of evil? 
according to my good friend G.K. Chesterton, the answer is yes. Chesterton, who died in 1936, was a prolific English journalist, philosopher, essayist, novelist, and lay theologian, as well as a poet. His essay, The Poetic Quality in Liberalism, published in 1905 in the Independent Review, starts out by imagining all the things a man would no longer be able to enjoy if he were suddenly turned into a mackerel fish. These might, Chesterton writes, be climbing the Alps, taking snuff, and visiting the library, but would certainly include the pleasures of swimming in the sea. For the sea creature knows nothing of the sea, he says, just as the earth creature knows nothing of the earth. This forgetfulness of what we have is the real fall of man and the fall of all things. The evil which infects the immense goodness of existence does not embody itself in the fact that men are weary of woes and oppressions. It embodies itself in the shameful fact that they are often weary of joys and weary of generosities. Poetry, the highest form of literature, has here its immortal function. It is engaged continually in a desperate and divine battle against things being taken for granted. A fierce sense of the value of things lies at the heart of literature. Chesterton goes on to explain, essentially, that we tend to lose sight of the wonders of the world we live in because they are too close for us to see them as they truly are. For example, our life circumstances can lead us to forget or fail to appreciate the excellencies of a cow, he says, perhaps because we are timid and afraid of cows, or are a poor farmer whose only thought is how much the cow is worth in cold, hard cash. We therefore can't appreciate her soulful eyes, or the richness of her cream, or the wonders of her system of multiple stomachs. In order that we can actually see her again, rather than merely look at her, we must set her in a poem. The more I thought about this, the more it reminded me of a work by Emily Dickinson, one of my favorite poets. Tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Success in circuit lies. Too bright for our infirm delight, the truth's superb surprise. As lightning to the children eased with explanation kind, the truth must dazzle gradually or every man be blind. Poetry is a way of telling things slant, of exploring the mysteries and miracles of God and the world he has made without diminishing them or blinding us with the sheer unfiltered beauty of his truth. According to Leland Riken, English professor emeritus at Wheaton College, at least a third of the Bible is written in poetry. Jesus himself used poetic language many times to call attention to the beauty of the reality he was talking about. 
The kingdom of heaven, he says in Matthew chapter 13, is like a fabulous treasure hidden in a field that prompts the finder to sell everything he has in order to buy the field and possess the treasure. It's like a priceless pearl that a merchant will sell everything for, including all his other pearls, so he can buy that one. Jesus' parables in no way diminish the spectacular worth and glory of God's kingdom. Instead, he lets his followers have a taste of this glory without blowing their minds by showing its full strength. After all, when Peter caught a glimpse of Jesus' glory during the transfiguration, it caused him to babble like a fool. Similarly, the Apostle John takes a more lyrical approach in his gospel account than the immediate, action-packed narrative of Mark or the painstakingly detailed story of Luke, referring to Jesus as the Word and as light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, he says in John 1. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then, in the book of Revelation, John employs a series of comparisons to describe the risen and reigning Christ with startling, awesome effect. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. The language of poetry gives expression to things for which ordinary language is insufficient. Fear, joy, wonder, the glorious heartache brought on by a brilliant blue summer sky— while also resurrecting the mystery of the everyday things we tend to take for granted. It doesn't make ordinary things seem more wonderful than they are by turning them into abstractions. Instead, it regrounds us in reality by shaking us out of the ruts of disenchantment our thinking has fallen into. Gerard Manley Hopkins is a genius at this kind of shaking and regrounding, often pairing close observation of the natural world with profound theological truth in a way that startles and then makes the heart sing. Take his poem Pied Beauty, for example. Glory be to God for dappled things, for skies of couple color as a brinded cow, for rose moles all in stipple upon trout that swim, fresh fire coal chestnut falls, finches wings, landscape plotted and pieced, fold fallow and plow, and all trades their gear and tackle and trim. All things counter, original, spare, strange, whatever is fickle, freckled, who knows how, with swift, slow, sweet, sour, a dazzle, dim. He fathers forth whose beauty is past change. Praise him. Sunsets are something we commonly exclaim in awe over, 
But when was the last time the sight of a spotted or brindled cow caused you to erupt in praise? And yet, with his list of dappled things, Hopkins calls us to pay attention to their unique beauties and, more importantly, what they say about their creator, who is himself the beauty of all things beautiful, as St. Augustine says. So, what is poetry for? To remind us of the value in every good thing we see, to reawaken us to the sacred wonders that crowd this world we live in, and to redirect us to God himself, the source of every wonder there ever was. Recently, one of these reawakenings met me at the garden center where I work in the unlikely form of a grizzled man buying sweet-scented bright purple flowers. He was disturbed about the war in Ukraine and expressed his belief that the end of the world was nigh. I wasn't really sure what to say at the time, but the interaction stayed with me as I pondered what it must be like to live without hope in a good, wise and sovereign God who will one day remake the world and set all things to rights. To close this episode, I'd like to share the poem that grew from that moment. March 3rd. This could be the last spring, he said, with a wary look in the overkeen eyes that peered out from beneath his ball cap brim as he told me a tale of horrors and motion that I knew had not yet come to fruition. Let's hope things will get better, I said, though his muttered departure declared they wouldn't. Later, I wondered what it must be like to live without hope, in constant terror of the earth giving way, the mountains crumbling into the heart of the sea, what is it like to live as if beauty is only transient and not transcendent? Then I remembered how his alisum rained its delicate purple petals on my steel countertop, and how, after he had gone, its fragrance lingered. Okay. Amelia, thank you for sharing with us today. Thank you for sharing an original poem and your thoughts on poetry. That was so good. Uh, folks, please check out Amelia's work over at innocenceabroad.com. That's I-N-N-O-C-E-N-C-E-A-B-R-O-A-D.com, Innocence Abroad. Uh, and subscribe to her quarterly booklet parcels. Her most recently published one is called The Inconsolable Ache. And you can follow her on Instagram, too, at Innocence Abroad. So uh, do that, and then uh, again, my book and album, Only the Lover Sings, releases this Friday, May 6th. Please grab a copy of the book on Amazon. Uh, It would really help if you'd write a review and share it with your friends. That would be amazing. So that is all for this week. I hope you're having a wonderful Eastertide, and I will see you next time on 1000 Words.